Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Hello, and welcome to the 13th episode of the commentary series on the Dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena. I'm Sister Mary Madeline Todd, a Dominican sister of the Congregation of St. Cecilia, in Nashville, Tennessee. Today is the 13th day in our series, and we'll be continuing to explore St. Catherine's Treatise of Prayer on the theme today of the unitive state. Traditionally, this is the third and highest state in the spiritual life. We'll begin with the subsection, how the soul who finds herself in the unitive state desires infinitely to leave the barren earthly state. And with the subsection, how they who have arrived at the aforesaid unitive state have the eye of their intellect illumined by supernatural light. As we begin, let us open with St. Catherine's prayer, a beautiful testament to her own experience of the unitive state we'll be considering today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal God, Eternal Trinity, you have made the blood of Christ so precious through his sharing in your divine nature. You are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find, and the more I find, the more I search for you. But I can never be satisfied what I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an ever greater hunger and I grow more famished for your light. I desire above all to see you, the true light, as you really are. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. In our last segment, which was the 12th in this series, we were discussing how the Father revealed to St. Catherine the grace that flows in abundance in the diverse forms of baptism by which he cleanses souls. The Father taught Catherine that all the forms of baptism receive their power to save by the blood of Christ poured out with so much love. In this teaching, the Father revealed that although the pain Christ endured on the cross was finite, the love with which he laid down his life was infinite. And from this infinite love flow all the graces of redemption. God willed that blood and water flow forth from the side of Christ, and the power that is in the blood gives to the water spiritual cleansing power. In addition to sacramental baptism by water, the Father taught Catherine that there is also baptism by blood. This is the baptism of the martyr 
who testifies by his or her whole life and by his or her death that God is the ultimate truth, the ultimate love. He also showed Catherine that there is what he called a baptism by fire. When a person desires the grace of the sacrament, but has not yet received it. This baptism by fire is what the Catechism today calls baptism of desire. It too receives all its power to save from the blood of Christ poured out for us. The Father likewise showed Catherine that the sacrament of confession is in a sense a form of ongoing baptism. When a person has fallen into sin after receiving baptism, and yet is truly sorry for that sin, if that person confesses to the priest, the saving power of the blood of Christ is administered through the sacrament of confession. Although someone who cannot have access to the sacrament may, through perfect contrition, be healed through the power of the same blood of Christ, the Father warns that no one should put off receiving the sacraments, since these are the principal channels of divine grace, and we would never want to presume on divine mercy. In many ways, the Father directs Catherine's attention and ours through her to the fact that no sin of ours is greater than the infinite love of God in Jesus Christ, and that we can place radical trust in the power of His blood to set us free through the sacrament of baptism, and through the sacrament of confession. Having at the end of the last segment talked about how St. Paul experienced a glimpse of eternity even as he lived in his body, and how such a vision made him long to depart from this life, the Father explains to Catherine in this section of the dialogue more about a soul who has reached the state of unitive prayer. In all of the great spiritual traditions of the Catholic Church, the prayer of union is the crowning jewel of the spiritual life. In different terminology and using different imagery, many doctors of the Church tell us that a person first setting out to walk the journey of the spiritual life begins at the purgative stage. This is the stage of conversion, the stage of moving away from sin and walking toward a life of virtue. We saw this in Catherine's own writings in relation to the first step of the bridge, where a soul who wants to leave behind the river of death climbs with its affection onto the feet of Christ. At this stage, affection is being purified so that rather than longing for the things of this world, one is beginning to long for Christ and for the graces of virtue. The second stage of this spiritual life is often called the illuminative stage. This is the stage of coming to know the grace of God more fully and walking more habitually in grace and virtue, such that the soul is literally being illumined. It is receiving through faith insight into the things of God. In St. Catherine's Allegory of the Bridge, this is the stage where having climbed up to the heart of Christ, one sees through the open wound of the side, that heart pierced with love for us, and comes to understand the depths of how much God loves the soul. A person who experiences this illumination of faith and love 
will continue to grow in grace and virtue and ascends to the third stage. This stage, called the unitive stage in most of the great spiritual traditions, is linked to what Catherine refers to when she says that having climbed the bridge of Christ from the feet to the heart, now one ascends to the mouth of Christ to receive the kiss of peace, which is the Holy Spirit. A soul who has attained such a union with God wills only what God wills. Souls who have reached the unitive stage may undergo deep suffering when they behold others who reject God. But this is not out of any form of an unloving judgment, but solely out of a desire for the glory of God and the true good of their neighbors. Souls in this stage are so one with God that all they seek is the fulfillment of the will of God. The Father describes to Catherine souls in this state of union, saying, In nothing are they in discord with my will, but they run their course with ecstatic desire, clothed in Christ crucified, and keeping by the bridge of his doctrine, glorying in his shame and pains. Such souls offer any suffering that comes to them with patience. And they even rejoice when they suffer tribulation because they see in that opportunity to suffer an occasion to share in the sufferings of Christ crucified. Because their intellects are filled with the light of faith, they see all not from the natural perspective, but from the supernatural. And because they're steeped in the blood of Christ, they are filled with divine love. The Father instructs Catherine that when the eye of the intellect is enlightened by faith, this leads to the illumination that enables Christ's followers to plunge into the mysteries of faith with an insight that is not possible by unaided reason alone. The first example he gives of such a soul is St. Thomas Aquinas, and he follows this example by mentioning also St. Augustine, St. Jerome, and the holy doctors and saints of the church. The holy scriptures, the word of God, themselves have no defect in them. But because of the limits of human reason, many people find the sacred scriptures hard to understand. This is why those of great prayer, who are open to the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, are able to unpack and understand what reason alone cannot. The gift that St. Thomas Aquinas and other saints had to penetrate into divine mysteries was not by natural light, but by a supernatural faith. The Father says to Catherine that they did not just see, rather they discerned and understood. This was the same grace and light that was given to the holy prophets and to the apostles, and now by the grace of the Holy Spirit is given to all the holy ones who are open to this gift of divine illumination. While those who receive the divine gift of the Spirit are all receiving from the one Spirit, as we see in the writings of St. Paul, the light of truth is given differently to different groups of saints according to God's purposes. The Father tells Catherine that the prophets were given the light 
to prepare others by pointing towards the coming Messiah. The evangelists were given the grace of God to write the Gospels to testify to Christ's life and teaching. The apostles were enlightened to understand the faith and transmit it to the early church. But this illumination of faith did not end with the apostolic age. It continues, even to this day, in the lives of the martyrs who shed their blood to witness to the truth in the lives of virgins and holy consecrated persons who radiate the truth of Christ by their charity and purity. And in all who are obedient to the word of God, witness is given to the truth that comes from the Spirit. Obedience is such a central virtue in the writings of Catherine that the entire fourth treatise of the dialogue is on that very topic. The Father continues to reflect how supernatural light is seen in both the Old and the New Testaments. In the Old, it filled the Holy Prophets. In the New, not only did the evangelists receive this light, but also all who would hand on the faith of Christ. This light, the Father tells Catherine, is the same divine source in the Old and the New Testaments. The Old Law was not broken by the New but rather the new is the fulfillment of the old, the perfection of a law founded in fear by the law of love. The power of the new law comes from the blood of Christ through which the Spirit was poured out. That perfection of love that Christ manifests by his self-sacrifice on the cross gains for us the living gift of the Holy Spirit at work in our souls. There is no person who cannot receive this supernatural light. However, if people walk in pride, they are blinded to supernatural light, which cannot penetrate the cloud of self-love. To them, they may understand only the letter of the law, but never the spirit. Here the Father makes a practical application of this point for the spiritual life of Catherine and of those who will find the wisdom of the dialogue. He directs her that it would be much better to seek counsel for the salvation of her soul to go to a holy and upright person than to a proud and learned person. The learned person may know well the literal sense of a text of the Bible, but pride blocks one from the light of grace that gives supernatural insight. On the other hand, a person who is walking in grace, especially someone who is in the unitive state of prayer, will penetrate to the true meaning of the Word of God and therefore have far more insight into the movements of grace in the soul of the one seeking counsel. Interestingly, this same question arises in the writings of the great Carmelite doctors of the church. St. John of the Cross insisted on this same principle that is found in the writings of St. Catherine, that holiness and prayerfulness are the key elements of a good spiritual director. St. Teresa of Avila, while not completely disagreeing, brings out another point. She insisted that it was central to have someone who was learned in theology and the ways of the spiritual life. 
One can glean from the writings of St. Teresa of Avila that her caution was due to her experience, that sometimes those who lacked deeper theological training and understanding would misdirect the nuns of her monasteries. But what we can see in the writings of St. Catherine and St. John of the Cross is not so much a denigration of the importance of sacred study, but rather an insistence that a person who is in grace and prayer is a privileged spiritual guide. It is not that the learned person cannot discern the path, but rather the proud learned person whose judgments are clouded. What can be gained from a comparison of these three great doctors of the church is that the ideal is that a person can give direction to others who is both prayerful and learned in the ways of the spiritual life. The Father goes on to encourage Catherine to strive for the perfection of the unitive state in which the eye of the intellect is ravished by the fire of divine charity and in which charity opens one to supernatural light. As the Father reminds Catherine, the more a soul knows, the more it loves. Divine light illumines the intellect to know truth, not merely from a natural point of view, but from a supernatural. And thus the soul comes to know God more fully and therefore loves God with far greater perfection. A soul who participates in this unitive state of love, even in this life, tastes something of the bliss of heaven. This union can be so intense at times that a person can barely know whether he or she is in the body or out of it. In the life of Catherine, it was often told that her union with God in prayer led her to a state of ecstasy, a suspension of her regular sensory perception that flowed from her complete absorption in the things of God. Such a soul is not set on doing her own will, but entirely dedicated to the will of God. And that is why, even though she might long, like St. Paul, to leave this earthly existence behind. Because she is so one with God, she is willing to endure however long her life in this world shall be, with all her desire fixed on the Lord and willingness to labor tirelessly for the salvation of souls. This concludes the 13th episode of our series, in which the Father explained to Catherine how important it is to strive for total union with God and be open to entering the unitive state of the soul. Next time, we'll continue the Treatise of Prayer with episode 14 on the Theology of Tears, a fascinating teaching that is more developed in the writings of St. Catherine than in the writings of many other saints and therefore marks one of her unique contributions to spiritual theology. We will begin our discussion of the Theology of Tears with the subsection, How This Devout Soul Seeks Knowledge from God Concerning the State and Fruit of Tears, and going on to How This Devout Soul Makes Three Petitions. Until then, may we ever seek to be more united to God, open to the grace of the Holy Spirit that we might receive the enlightenment of divine truth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This has been an episode of The Commentaries. 
a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit TANCommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the dialogue and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven. Thank you.